Steve Smith called his new tour, This Could Be It, although he says, if I was a betting man, I'd put my money on, this is definitely it. He's talking about taking his alter ego, Red Green, on his final journey throughout his homeland with a coast-to-coast truck that will culminate on October 30th at the Georgian Theatre in Barrie, Ontario. These final lodge meetings have not only entertained audiences on both sides of the border so far, but given the comedian a chance to see how the Red Green show has helped people's lives. Let's listen to a minute or so from the show and then talk to the man himself, Steve Smith. They tell me my birth was a bit of a challenge. My parents were not good planners. They didn't live anywhere near the hospital. And it didn't help that it was Christmas Eve. Dad said he wasted a lot of time looking for a manger. (laughs) That was another one of his funny ones. They never did get to the hospital. I ended up being born in the same car I was conceived in. Most old guys resent babies. It's really just jealousy. Babies are having the lives old guys can only dream about. I'll skip the obvious. You don't have to talk to anybody. You don't have to do anything. Somebody dresses you, somebody feeds you, somebody bathes you, rubs you down with oil. Nobody gets mad when you fall asleep on the couch. You never have to pay for anything. Nobody makes fun of you for not having teeth. Welcome. Nice to see you. you. Nice to be seen. So you say that talking to the fans, and you've done this show a few times in the U.S., and now you're bringing it to Canada, about the impact of the show is the part that, and this is, I love this, that you'll remember forever. What are fans saying to you? Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, generally, they say the program really helped them through a tough time Mm. in their lives, but I mean, some of them are, well, a lady, a mother of five said to me, you tell us what we need to hear and make it funny, so we'll listen. (laughs) <laughs> I had a 23-year-old young guy say to me, you make me look forward to getting old. <laughs> and there was one that was really heartwarming. There was a guy, he, he, I'd say he was 30, and he said to me, you know, he said he, I had a rough upbringing. I was foster home to foster home, and, and he says, uh, most of my parenting was done by the Red Green Show. And uh, he said, not only did it kind of show me the way to go, but it also got me interested in machinery and how things work. Right. And he said, now I'm a working engineer, and he feels that I'm largely responsible for that. I mean, geez. I mean, that must blow your oh, mind. Geez. Well, <clears throat> the promoter, he's always with me at these meet and greets, and because he, he takes pictures, you know, because mm-hmm. people want a, their picture taken with a phone or whatever, right. and it just moves faster. Yeah, and yeah. he and I, just, we just look at each other, we got tears in our eyes, and it's just, that's fantastic. Well, you could not possibly have imagined that there'd be any of that response. I mean, we'll get to the nitty gritty of where Red Green came from in a moment. But, you know, when you're making a show like this, I would imagine that you hope people laugh. You hope that they have, you know, a half an hour once a week or if they're binging or whatever, you know, that in the time that they're spending with that character, with Red Green, right. uh, that they're having a good time. And that's probably all you're really hoping. Yeah. I mean, you you, you assume it's disposable. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And then when you find out that it isn't to certain people, uh, you know, it, it means a lot because, uh, I mean, I enjoyed the work mm-hmm. and uh, I made a living at it. So I've had all the reward I could expect. This is just bonus time. Now, let's go back. 
you say that your first comedy writing job was in high school. So I'm guessing you weren't getting paid for it, but you were writing funny captions for the photos of the yearbook. Right. And do you remember any of them? And why did they come to you? Were you the class cut up? No, I wasn't. You know, I wasn't. I, I, a funny thing happened to me way before high school. Uh, in grade six, seven, and eight, uh, and I lived in Toronto at that time, I, uh, I had the same teacher all mm. three years. Oh. And uh, by about the second week of grade six, she said, no one is allowed to speak out in class except him, <laughs> pointing to me. <laughs> so I was, I was given that freedom. So it did two things for, for me. One of them was it gave me incredible freedom right. to say what I was thinking. And the other one was uh, I needed to respect the environment that I was in or I would, that freedom would be removed. Mm-hmm. So when I, I would say things in class, but it, was, it wasn't to blow things up. It was just, here's a, fu- here's a funny way of looking at what we're talking about. And it, for some kids, it made it more interesting. And it certainly did for the teacher. So then, in, I was the same way in high school. I didn't get to speak out in high school. But I, my friends knew I was funny, but the rest of the class would have no idea. I didn't, I didn't get involved in theater. I didn't do anything funny. I never was in stand-up or any of that stuff. And that probably that was my first job was they had these pictures. My brother was the student's council president. So he had these pictures at home as he put in the yearbook together. And I just started writing funny things. I remember one time there was a picture of a girl's legs, ni- nice legs. And there was a picture of a crow. So under the crow, I put the girl's phone number. And under the legs, I put the crow. <laughs> <laughs> You probably couldn't get away with that today. Oh, heck no. 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 <laughs> Doing a cross-country tour. Uh, this could be it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's wrapping up the character of Red Green, although you've said this before, and it hasn't happened. Yeah. Well, I can tell you for sure, honestly, it is, it's the end of Red Green touring. That's for sure. Mm. I don't know what's next. but I, Books? Th- no. No? I've done a bunch of books, yeah. and I, yeah, I'm not, no, no, not books. I don't know what it is. It's not television. And I don't even want to think about what it is because I want to focus on right. this. You know, the, the live performance, I started in 2010, this is my fourth tour, has been the greatest part of my career, hands down. I mean, just these days, you can see anything in the world on your phone, mm-hmm. right? But with live performance, you're either in the room or you're not. It's a big difference. And it exists in your memory. Oh, my it's, gosh. It becomes yeah, part of you. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So I want to just cherish that. There's nothing negative about this tour. A lot of times people do their final tours mm-hmm. because I'm finally finished with that contract. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or I can pay off my house or something. It's none of those. It's just uh, I want to go out uh, on a high. You say that uh, your friends knew that you were funny. Teachers knew that you were funny, but you weren't doing stand-up. You weren't no. involved in theater groups. You studied no. engineering at yeah. the University of Waterloo. Uh, when did that take a back seat to comedy? Uh you know, I was, uh, I'm trying to think of when that actually happened, but I, I took a, I took a, um, an aptitude test. I actually flunked out of Waterloo. I, I took engineering, but I didn't take all of it. Mm. I left most of it for the others. <laughs> 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 so then I took an aptitude test. And uh, when I went in, the, the guy had a graph. These are all my things. And the thing I should n- not do at all is sales. And then it went, he went along, along, along. And then there was a big one, high point of the graph and he says, that's um, anything to do with physical sciences, physics, or even chemistry, or mechanical. You, you, could, you should go and take any kind of engineering you want to take. That's your... Hmm. I said, well, I just flunked out of that. So <laughs> what's the, and there was, at the other end of the thing was a, a, a mark just as high. Right. 
I said, well, what's that one? He said, oh, no, that's, that's entertainment. You, you, can't, you, can't make, you can't make a living at that. That was him deciding. That's yeah. so often what people were told, though. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. just for the weekends. So that was one clue that maybe if all else failed, I could go over to that. And then uh, I, I was in the music business for a while. And I remember one night we were, there was a club down here on Young Street called the Friars. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were performing there and the guitar player broke a string. And he was having, he had to go find it out of his case and everything. So I'm just filling, I'm just talking. <laughs> and the audience is laughing like crazy and everything. So finally, I, I probably took him 10 or 15 minutes to change the string. And we finished the set and a guy came up to me and he said, Listen, well, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring my wife back here on Saturday night. Are you going to do that bit again where the guy pretends to break a guitar string? <laughs> so that was another clue. And then I read a book about, you know, advertising or whatever. And they had these little clues to success. And one of them was play your aces. Figure out what your aces are right. and play them. Don't play a two thinking as soon as I get some interest, I'll play an ace, yeah, you yeah. know. And if you only have one ace, play it. And so I, at some point in my, when I had tried everything else from a mailman to uh, anyway, I, I said, well, what is my ace? Well, my ace is being funny. You know, I can make people laugh. Well, let's, let's see where that takes us. It's interesting because we're talking now middle to late 70s, I'm right. guessing, right? Yep. Right at around the 75, 6, 7 yep. in there. And at the time, funny Canadians were fewer and farther between on this side of the border. They all right. went to the U.S. You right. stayed here. Yeah, well, nobody in the U.S. asked me to come. <laughs> that was part of it. In fact, one of the things, I mean, I'm proud of a lot of things about yep. the Red Green Show, but one of the things I'm most proud of is the show was canceled in its second season. And that happens. You know, yep. it, it was, the station had financial problems, blah, blah, blah. I started getting mail from Canadians saying, do what you got to do. You got to keep the show on the air. And I was like, and I, would, I had a post office box for the, for the show. And I would go down, it was like... Um, Miracle on 34th Street, the guy would right. hand me the thing, here's your mail, and then and as I leave, he goes, wait, wait, wait. And he has a box of mail. I'm getting like a thousand letters a day. Wow. And I thought, holy cow, this show is connecting with people. So it was based on the response in Canada that encouraged me to take the show into the States, mm-hmm. as opposed to many comedians, based on a lack of response right. in Canada they go to the States. So, I mean, that's a big difference. And when I went down there calling on distributors or programmers or whatever, I took a hockey bag full of that <laughs> fan mail. <laughs> because I said, you know, you're guessing, I'm guessing. Yeah. These people aren't guessing. Yeah. They know what they like. I love that it's a hockey bag, too. Yeah. You're going down there <laughs> yeah, with, the, with a Canadian iconic Ab- carrying yeah, device. That's absolutely. awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. As soon as they looked at me, they knew I was not a team. <laughs> <laughs> and so it, it is, it's around this time. And now, do you do stand-up? Do you spend time doing that? Because I know you from television. And yeah. I always think of you as being uh, a product of, 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 TV. of TV. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And uh, no, I've never did, never did stand up. And I'm th- these tours. I do ninety minutes. And, and the other thing is, and I don't even think about this. I, I'm aware of it, but I don't think about it because it's, it would debilitate me. But most comedians, if they're going to mount a show, if they're going to do ni- first of all, nobody does ninety minutes. That's comedians right. do sixty minutes is absolute maximum. Yep. And what you do is, when you get five minutes, you go down to the local comedy club and you work it yep. till you get that five minutes working. Then you get another five minutes and so on. I can't do that. I'm a very specialized brand. I can't do it in increments. Uh, my audience doesn't go to the comedy clubs. Right. And even worse, the people at the comedy clubs would probably find me irrelevant. And mm. So I, I, would, I would learn nothing, uh, you know, except not go to comedy clubs. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like this tour I did in the spring, uh, I started in Tampa. 
and I'm walking out on stage, 90 minutes of material that's never been done in front of a human being. I mean, I, I don't even do it in front of my wife. It's just me in a room hoping that I get enough singles and doubles that I can... And so it's not like a greatest hits from oh, the no. television show? Everything, everything's brand new. Wow. And this is my fourth one, so that's another thing. There's, yeah. you know, And the other thing is, you know, uh, you're talking about this could be it, and I'm telling you this is it. Uh, I got friends who, I won't mention the comic, but they went to see a comic they really liked and, and really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. And then two years later, he was back, and they went to see him again, and the guy, he didn't know where he was, you know? He... Well, I don't want that. I don't yeah. want, you know. This happened to me recently okay. seeing a show that I had seen as a Netflix special. Okay. And then I thought, okay, well, if they're touring again, it's got to be all new or it's got to be different or it's got, no, exactly oh. the same show. And it was such a disappointment. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. a $200 ticket. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So you're not doing that. No, this I'm is not all doing fresh, that. No. all new. I would see that as an insult if mm -hmm. I was in the audience. So let's talk about 1979. You get the sketch show Smith and Smith on the air yeah. with your wife. 78. 78. Yep. And there wasn't a lot happening in Canadian television at the time. No. Uh, so you get this thing on. What did you think the response would be? Or was it just like, you know, look, we can make money doing this? Well, you know what <laughs> happened? Like a, f a few, I don't know the exact history, but a few years before that, the CRTC changed the rules. Mm -hmm. And that if you wanted to have... Uh, a Canadian television station, you needed to produce Canadian content. Yep. So that was, it, the reason it took that long to happen, I think, was that all there was was CBC. It was nationally owned anyway, so yep. they could, they'd do whatever they wanted. But the commercial stations weren't interested in doing something that wasn't commercial. So, uh, yeah, we, that, that gave us opportunity. I mean, people talk to me, I have a lot of American friends, and they talk about, well, why don't you just move here and everything? I, you know, because Canada's so small and so few people are, but there, I say there's no shortage of opportunity in Canada. As long as there's opportunity, yeah. that's the key, you yeah. know. So anyway, that created an opportunity, and then my wife and I, you know, did this, we did that show for probably eight years, and uh, and that the red green character was created in 1978. Uh, and yeah, and this is uh, so interesting because I grew up watching the Scuttlebutt Lodge oh, yeah, on sure. television. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Red Fisher was, uh, you know, Saturday mornings, a yeah. legendary character. Absolutely. When back in the days when there were three channels, you know, he was probably on before the Saturday morning movie. So I would watch Red Fisher interview people about fishing yeah. at the Scuttlebutt Lodge. And he became the, the basis for Red Green. Oh, absolutely. Because I would watch that show and... It seemed to me he had the attitude that nothing would bore you. Uh, like, <laughs> it was his job to fill the half hour. It was your job to make it interesting. <laughs> I mean, first of all, every time they flew in, I don't know if you noticed this, it was always the same stock footage yep. of a float plane landing. And he had some shows where he wouldn't catch any fish. I met, <laughs> I met his son, I think, at a convention years later. And I said, you know, I, I watched your dad's show, it's, and he wouldn't catch anything. He said, well, he got you to watch the whole half hour. <laughs> <laughs> so who's the genius? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And he was, you know, he would read some of his own poetry. It's, yeah. So there was a, a whole thing there. And I was definitely making fun, making fun of him, and, and yet... Uh, but you, the, the character changed, so it starts off yes. as a parody. Absolutely. And you thought that it would be a one-shot, or, you know, you, yeah. every now and again you, yeah. you'd pull this character up and make fun of him a little bit. Right. But then things changed for him, right? Absolutely. Well, in, I want to say 1982, uh, Smith & Smith had been on for a few years by then, 
the station, CHCH in Hamilton, they had a hockey game on Wednesday night. And they never knew when the hockey game was going to end. It might end at 20 to 11. It might end at quarter to 11. And they were looking for some show that could be flexible, a live show that could be flexible enough. So they asked me if I, if I would do it as Red Green. This was <laughs> 1982. So I said, well, you know, it's funny. I, I, I didn't want to do it. Um, but it, it planted a seed in my mind. that, And then later, years later, when uh, my wife uh, decided to retire from uh, television, we had two sons, and they were getting into their teens. And, and they worked with you a little bit as well. Yeah, they and did. Me and Max, On TV, right? Me yeah, and yeah, Max, yeah, yeah. 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 But uh, one, she figured one of us needed to be home for their teen years, and she knew their names, so she, it seemed to be, she was the obvious choice. So I just went down to the station, and, and um, I, I remember saying, I need you to give me enough money that I can do something, but not enough that you care what it is. <laughs> and, that, and we were just going to have fun for, uh, you know, six months. And just a summer job that turned out to endless, endless summer. But we've just been talking about where Red Green came from, and you say that, you know, when you bring in a live audience, they really are the ones that kind of push you to make sure that this character is everything it could be. Absolutely. I mean, they, they, they're the best thing that ever happened to the show uh, because, first of all, they, ha- they liked the show. So they liked what we were doing. They weren't coming in. It wasn't a, a cold call or an audition. Mm-hmm. They were there based on what they'd seen. And they were going to steer the ship from that day forward, not in, not in terms of giving us ideas, but in terms of coaching us, letting us know when we were getting it right and when we were getting it wrong. When we end, After the sixth season, uh, we got to CBC. And at CBC, we had a little more money to work with. And uh, so we, we shot the show twice in a night wow. to two different audiences. So we'd, we'd do the whole show in front of the first audience. Then we'd have a meeting as to what needed to be tweaked. And, right. and as often as not, it was things that we didn't think were all that strong that they thought were really good. We'd, well, let's let that breathe a little bit. You know, yeah. give that some space. And then the second audience would come in and we'd do it with the changes. And when it came time to edit the show, I'm going to say 90% of the time, and it may be even higher, we would use the second show because of, of the changes the audience had told us to make. Mm-hmm. Was the, the Marx Brothers used to tour with all of their movies. Yeah. They'd turn it into a stage show, and they would time the laughs, right? No, they would that. time the laughs, and that's why when you watch these movies on television now, because at home you don't laugh as much, I right, don't think. Right. And certainly, you know, the, the, the some of the slapstick maybe doesn't inspire a minute-long laugh anymore in theaters. So when you watch the movies now, they, they feel a little slower than you might imagine, but they were timed. Oh, I see. Yeah. Because people in a movie theater will laugh because yeah. there's lots of them. Absolutely. Okay. One well, person laughs, everybody laughs. You know, these. Uh, I've been touring the U.S. now. with the, like the, All these tours I've done in the U.S. as well. And they're predominantly refurbished vaudeville theaters. Mm. And backstage, you know, on the wall would be the, the Marx Brothers and wow. Jack Benny and uh, Burns and Allen. And I'm just like, oh, my God, I'm on the same stage as he. I mean, it's pretty cool. That's funny, right? Yeah. It, 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 there's a through line there. Yeah, you know, yeah. you're, you're doing the same thing they did. Yeah. Entertaining an audience, making them laugh. Yeah, and in, in like in a in a room, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. it could be a thousand years ago. You know, yeah. the microphone's not important. You know? Yeah. Some of these halls, they were built, or there were no microphones. You know, the acoustics are that good. You just talk, and they can hear you. The nurse sent me into the examination room for a debriefing, and she meant that literally. <laughs> the doctor comes in. And he says that I seem nervous. I said, Well, I'm standing here naked. That could be part of it. He offered to take his clothes off. (laughs) I declined. (laughs) This is one weird doctor. 
He checked my peripheral vision by asking me if I'd been seeing anyone on the side. How do you know when it's, I mean, people are laughing, but you can tell there's an energy that comes off an audience. When you're doing this show, the This Could Be It show, yeah. uh, you can feel it right away, can you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, it's. It, I can say, I did 36 on my U.S. tour. I'm doing 39 on the Canadian side, but... Um, it's never not fun, but sometimes it's work. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and you know, I think right away. I mean, yeah. I I do a lot of live hosting. I'll host, uh, you know, things at conventions and that sure. kind of thing, and 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 big gala awards and that sort of thing. Yeah. And I can always tell in the first thirty seconds, like, oh, this is going to be a rough. I'm earning my money tonight. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. yeah. You can just feel the vibe in the room. Yeah, like um, the promoter has a merchandise booth, and there'll be a few of them working out there, and he he'll come backstage. Before the show starts, and he he's already made an assessment. As right, to, you know, <laughs> we're sold out, or no, we didn't sell anything. No, it's <laughs> not that. It's, it's, it's how, what kind of mood the audience is in. Right. he comes back and says, "You could, they're hot, they're ready to go," you know. And he goes out and does his little spiel, and he right. can tell by that. So, yeah, but ge- generally, you know, it's not it's it's not two hundred dollars to come and see me, but it's yeah. not cheap. Yeah. So if you're ambivalent about, well, you're probably not there, you know. Right. <laughs> so, like to me. You've bought the ticket. You yeah. know, if you don't enjoy yourself, you're going to look like an idiot. Right, right, right. <laughs> so 300 episodes yeah. of The Red Green <laughs> Show. I mean, most TV shows, unless you're The Simpsons, yeah. try really hard to get to 100. Yeah. I've got a talk show that we're at 60 episodes, and everyone's, like, slapping me on the back for that. Right. Uh, and we're, and we're you know, we're, we're working towards, you know, 70 right now. But, but it, that's a lot of TV. It is a lot of TV, yeah. What What are the pressures that come with that, just to keep it fresh, to keep it uh, alive? To or, or did you think people love this character so much? I can't take it away from them. No, I didn't. No, I wasn't thinking that. I th- I thought you know they can take it away from me just by not watching. So right. I'm not going to anticipate that. I'll let them make that decision. <laughs> <laughs> but it was every year um when it came time to do i want to do another year you know that was the question do i want to can i think of enough things that i want to do mm-hmm. and to me a, a tv series is kind of like a garden you know you you don't just keep growing the same thing it's not a farm it's a garden <laughs> right. right you know so every year you got to plant something else and maybe something has run its course and you take that out and put something else in so i always tried to add new characters and add new segments and some of them worked and some of them didn't work but it just to kind of not make it feel so repetitive. I could be just watching the first episode 300 times. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to evolve. And one of the ways I, things I do when I'm writing, and I've done this forever, I won't write anything until I have 100 ideas. So I have a file yeah. of ideas. And I, I, I just me a line or two. Once I've got 100, then I get up the next morning and say, okay, is there one idea out of 100 you can flesh out into something? And if you can't, you don't belong in this business. Right. So I shame myself into writing. <laughs> so, so what would happen at the end of a season, I might still have 95 ideas that I, you know, yeah. some of which I liked. So all I got to do another season just to get those done, you know. And are you someone that always has a pen and paper or a little tape recorder or something that you're, uh, you know, no. the man with the red shirt, know. funny, you know, and that's, that's where. My it, wife, she keeps buying me those little things. And yeah. your phone now, you can do it on your yep. phone, right? But I just don't do it. I just, my thinking, I'll, I'll think of something and I, I like it. I like it and I'll be out somewhere. And I think if by the time I get home, I've forgotten that, wasn't that good? 
Right. <laughs> I have a tendency to email myself oh, that's ideas. Good. That's good. And so you, and you can do it, you know, yeah. quickly and that. Yeah. Uh, and then often when I get home, I'm like, why did I? Yeah. Uh, that wasn't even worth the, uh, no. the, 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 the time it took to send <laughs> to myself. <laughs> uh, are there favorite moments when you look back at those 300 episodes? Are there, is there, you know, a handful that you can point out as being your favorites? For different reasons, yes. You know, I mean, several of them are in the final episode. Uh, I had this bit in the show where I would, um, we call it the midlife section, where I would sit at a desk tying a fly and talk about things that, that would relate to middle-aged men. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, that was the same. That was in the show for uh, at least eight years, maybe longer. And I was, So I was tying, a, tying this fly for eight years, and on the last episode, <laughs> I finished it, took it out of the holder, and walked away. And that was, that's something I'll remember. Uh, Pat McKenna, who was just the greatest... Yep actor you could ever work with. He, um, he won a Gemini for comedy for the Red Green Show and also for drama, for traitors. And he moved to Los Angeles. Well, then all, you know, that made it really difficult for mm-hmm. him to do the show. So there were a couple of years. There one year where I w- he'd be in town and I'd shoot a bunch of segments and then he'd be gone and I would drop them in in various episodes to make it feel like he was still part of the show. And then the next year he was gone, completely gone. And then... The year after that, he moved back here, and we could bring him back to the show. We didn't tell anybody. We didn't tell the press. We didn't tell anybody. We didn't tell the audience. Nothing. The, the storyline for the show was that we're, what, we, what the lodge needed was a PR person. Ah. We were looking to hire a PR person. Yeah. And at the very last scene, uh, we're going to bring out our new yeah. PR. And it was, it was Harold yeah. all in a suit and everything. <laughs> oh, my God. The audience. Ugh. They went crazy. I mean, it was just. It was just such a, you know, a validation for us, for bring, but for him, you know, like they, it, to me, it was like, geez, they, they supported us through that time when he wasn't there, but they really missed them too, you know, so it was, that was a great moment. About halfway through the examination, he says to me, you know, somebody hasn't been taking very good care of their colon. I don't want to point any fingers. But he did. <laughs> I said, Doc, tell you what, it's not my favorite thing, okay? I think you're looking at the wrong end. I think you should be focused on the input side, not the output. All of these rectal exams are like having a security guard at the exit of a building. Then <laughs> he ended the examination early because, well, we had a little misunderstanding. He asked me, how often do I move my bowels? I thought he said, how often do I move my towels? I said, once a month. It's funny stuff, Steve. Oh, thanks. You know, it's funny. When the show was on the air all the time, uh, because I am... uh, physically not unlike Harold with a slick back hair and the yeah. glasses and the whole thing. People used to mistake me wow. for Patrick McKenna wow. all the time. Wow. Or they'd call me Harold. They'd yell at me. I've had Patrick in here. And he says that people used to say to him, wow. hey, are you that guy from the movie show? Wow. And so we, we were mistaken for one another for years. That's funny, eh? <laughs> Harold was, a, was a, well, I, when you were telling that story about how popular Harold was. Yeah. I knew how popular yeah, Harold sure. was because I was hearing it. I was hearing it. I'm doing a, when I do Brantford on the 22nd of October, we're 
um, recording it for a TV special, and I got him him coming and Jeff Lumby and Peter Callahan. They're wow. coming, so they'll be, in, they'll be in the audience. Yeah, that'll be kind of nice. That will be and like a little homecoming. Yeah, exactly. Um, what is this tour about for you? This tour is, uh, yeah, honestly, it's a chance to give back. I want the audience to know that you know this meant a lot to me. Mm-hmm. To, I've never considered myself a mainstream anything, but especially a mainstream comedian. And the fact that I could still find an audience, that there are still people out there who are open to somebody who's not what they're usually getting. And I, was, I want them to be rewarded for that. You know, I, And I, I hope that they walk away thinking, that was, that was a great you know, couple hours that we didn't have to think about life and we had a few laughs. And yeah, but it's, I didn't want to do it, uh, a tour and then while I was off, say, oh, by the way, that was my last one. Right, right. You know, whatever it is you want to do or say or anything, this is your this is your chance, you know. This is your chance to do it. Yeah. Now, you've done four of these in the past, 300 episodes of the show, a movie, and the books, and, the, and you've done other uh, live shows. How have the live shows in particular changed, or have they? Well, I think that uh, the content obviously has to change. You mm-hmm. can't do your greatest hits when right. you're doing comedy. But... I, I think the point of view is consistent, and I I think that's the main thing that people respond to with Red Green. He has a certain point of view. He has a certain way of approaching, whether they're mechanical problems or challenges or their um, emotional mm-hmm. situations, dealing with people, dealing with governments, whatever. There's a point of view. So I just, when I do a new show, I just take that point of view and apply it to whatever happened, whatever's right. current. You yeah. Know? And I mean that could continue on. I mean I'm I'm not going to tour anymore. That's for sure. That's absolutely for sure. But whether I would do a podcast or a blog, I don't know. A cartoon series? Yeah. Corner Gas, the cartoon, the animated series is happening right now. You never know. You never know. It's funny. Like you, because you were the one that chose the end of yeah. Red Green. You yeah. said, okay, I, I think I've said what I needed to say on television after 300 episodes. Right. Uh, very few people have the nerve to do that. Jerry Seinfeld did it. Brett Butt did it yep. with Corner Gas. Yep. Uh, but Brett, I think, has uh, reg- not regretted uh, leaving the show, but I think missed the character. Yeah. I think he just missed playing that guy. Right. You know? Yeah, and and I wondered, was there? I mean, you you have revisited Red Green, but how long did it take you for you to miss him after the after the television show? Not at all. I mean, there was no. I don't have that. I'm missing that gene. Yeah. I always have been. You're not sentimental. No. Well, I am. I'm very sentimental, but I'm not. I'm not a guy who deals in memories. Right. I don't look backwards. I will, like the show. I mm-hmm. in 15 years. I you know, I can tell you honestly, there was never a harsh word backstage ever wow. in fifteen years. So I look back at that. That's that's a gr- that was a great thing. But I don't. Gee, I wish, I wish yeah. I I could go back there. No, <laughs> I don't want to stop time. Right. You know, because I'm stopping it for my kids too. <laughs> you stop time, you stop it for everybody. So yeah, I'm I'm a person. I I have to look forward. And when this tour is over and I get up the next day, I'm not gonna I, I'm not gonna look back at. Wow, that was great. I'm sad as hell. I'm going, okay, now what? That's going to be my re- my response. I guess it really is that the most exciting thing is the next thing. Yeah, I, th- I think it is. You know, and even if you have to fool yourself into thinking that, yeah. it's, a, it's an important way to go. Because I think that's how you go grow old gracefully. Yeah. You know, who wants to hear about what you did 47 years ago, <laughs> you know? 
It's because the charges were dropped. That's it. <laughs> Who's coming to this show? I mean, the, the fan base, as, as I say, when people would mistake me for Harold, yeah. it was everybody. I know. It was everybody. The, you cannot define my demographic. And like I said, I, I've been doing this since 2010. It's my fourth tour. Each tour, the average age of the audience gets younger, which is ridiculous. Usually, <laughs> like, old, the audience ages with you. Right. You know, there will be people coming to these shows. There will be kids 13, 14 years old. The show's been off the air that long. Yeah. They don't know it was ever on television. They only know it from YouTube, right. you know. So that's one thing. They're aware of it from the internet. The other one is it's still relevant to them. When I turn a, a clothes dryer into a popcorn machine, <laughs> they think that's kind of cool, you know. <laughs> Are you a, 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 a do-it-yourselfer around the house? Uh, I, I am in, to a certain extent. I have old cars, too. I, I work on old cars. Mm. Uh, if you've got something that's not running and should be uh, or it's <laughs> broken and needs to be fixed, I'm your guy. Maybe that ties back into your interest in engineering. Oh, I think so. Many years yeah, ago. absolutely. But if you, if you want to renovate your kitchen or you want to reupholster something, I'm not your guy. <laughs> Duct tape. <laughs> Who knew that that would have been such a, a like a, a, a flashpoint for yeah, Canadians? Yeah. Well, I, you know what? I got to tell you, we, consci- we consciously made that decision yeah. to associate. I had read a book about branding. And uh, one of the, the hints in it was if you can take your brand and connect it to a bigger brand, right. you will get the benefit of that coattailing. So we had a big meeting. All the people were involved. The U.S. And, and I had sitting around a table trying to give me suggestions as to what should be our brand and everything. And they came out with nothing. I went home that night, and I think our brand is duct tape. So I started consciously associating the red-green character with duct tape. Right. And now, when people wrote, a lot of people, when they see duct tape, they think of me. Absolutely. Red-green's a verb now. Well, I'm going to red-green it. You know? <laughs> uh, from this show, from the success of the television show and the books and everything else, is there something that needs to be taken away from Red Green? I mean, he was created to entertain people, but it's become something more than that. Well, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but uh, I end the show with a wish for the people to, to have a simple life. And mm. uh, I think that's the, that's, that's the one I want. Yeah. That's why I put it at the end of the show. Yeah. And uh, some woman did a big plaque and, and sent, took a picture of it and sent it to us and just says a simple life on it. And so... Uh, I I think that's Red Green's legacy. If you if because it's so empowering to have a simple, you complicate your life and then and then you're out of control. I think that's a lesson that comes with age, though, as well. I think yeah, when you're think younger, so. yeah. you know, you think you got to go 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 yeah. all the time, yeah. and you find yourself on a bit of a treadmill, and you wonder why. Right. And then you know when you finally once you've lived a life a little bit, you realize that you know no matter who it is or 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 what part of the world people are in, everybody wants the same stuff. They want, yeah. you know, a safe place for their family to be. They want food on the table. They want essentially a simple life. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. Like I, in the show, I say uh, everybody expects you to be the best at something and to never quit till you get there. And if you can be the best, go for it. But if you can't, I say give up. <laughs> and the sooner the better. <laughs> and look, listen to this. I'm not saying you should be a total loser. Yeah. Just be the best version of yourself. And and if that's uh, not okay with somebody, they're going to have to get over it. <laughs> I think that the the next project 
if there should be another red green project, <laughs> the next one should be like the towel of red green or something like that. <laughs> Just a book of short haiku yeah. and yeah, philosophy yeah. Oh, yeah. from red green. That'd be kind of fun, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you can have that one. Oh, you can you. have that thank one. Um, we've just got a minute left. If, if, if you could do it all over again, would it be the same? Would he be the same guy? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I think it required an evolution and a growth. It required the hard times. It required me mortgaging my house so that I could uh, produce the fourth season. Mm-hmm. It just, it, it was it was asking me if I was committed or not. And if it didn't ask me that, I might not have been. You know, see, yep. I, I, I would hate to go back and, you know, a wonderful life again. I'd hate to go back and, <laughs> and try to relive history. Like it worked out great for whatever reason. Could it have worked out better if I'd done something else? I don't care. Yep. I'm happy with the way it is. And here you are on the tour across the country with the This Could Be It tour, taking mm-hmm. red green uh, from coast to coast to coast to coast. I don't know how many coasts that is. It's a lot of coasts. <laughs> it's enough. Uh, but you culminate on October 30th at the Georgian Theatre in Barrie, Ontario. Uh, Steve, thanks so much uh, for being here. What a pleasure to speak to you. And you too, Richard. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, my thanks to you out there for listening and to Chris Cant on the board. We'll talk again next week.